Thank you. Thank you. Three to six at the malls. So since there's, there's no age limit, you all are invited, right? Come on. Thank you, Jay. All right. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles if you have them? And if you don't, there should be several Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, why don't you take those? You can, uh, oh, we'll get started in, uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 148. We will really be jumping around in the scriptures quite a bit this morning because we are in week four of our summer sermon series, Ask the Pastor. Uh, we have received some wonderful questions, continue to receive uh, really good questions. Uh, thank you for those. Uh, it is so appreciated. Uh, you are definitely not giving me the summer off. So thank you for that. Um, week four, Ask the Pastor. Uh, you can turn to Psalm 148. We really will be skipping around quite a bit. Lots of scripture references. Um, if you don't have access to a Bible or you just want to follow on the screen behind me, you are more than welcome to do that. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. So if you would pray with me, please, um, one more time. Father, we ask for your blessing upon the reading and the preaching and the teaching and the receiving of your word. Um, Holy Spirit, we need for you to come in power uh, to speak uh, your uh, inspired word to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, help us to have hearts uh, not of stone, uh, but that hearts that are uh, of flesh, hearts that are, are soft, willing to receive your word. Um, we pray that uh, the words that I say would be your words and that I would uh, faithfully, according to your word, uh, answer uh, the question that is put before us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Okay, so this morning uh, we want to begin with some quotes, some answers. Uh, there was a Sunday school teacher, and uh, like Sunday school teachers like to do, uh, she posed uh, uh, this question to uh, her class of oh fifth and uh, fifth uh, five year olds to nine year olds, and she asked what they thought about angels. What do you think about angels? And so I just want to read a few of the responses. Gregory, uh, age five, says, "I only know the names of two angels: Hark and Harold." Olive, age nine. Everybody has got it all wrong, she writes. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but the scientists are working on it. All right, thank you for that. Mitchell, age seven. Angels, well, they go to work for God and they watch over kids when God has something else to do. Antonio, age nine. All angels are girls. Because they have to wear white dresses, and boys just wouldn't go for that. All right. My favorite, Henry, age eight. My guardian angel helps me with my math homework, but he's not much good for science. All right. Well, as you might have guessed, the questions that are posed for us today um, have to do with angels. And so uh, four questions that we received all having to do with angels. You can see them on the screen behind me. We'll read through these questions. I thought I'd pool them together, and uh, we would answer them all at once. Question number one from one of you out there. Why are there different kinds of angels? Question number two. Do they have different jobs or, or purposes? Question number three, and why should I care about what angels do? Very good questions. Uh, and then we had question number four from a different person in the audience. Are guardian angels real? Wonderful questions. Uh, to answer these questions, what I'd like to do is uh, just to sort of do an overview of the Bible's teaching on angels. And then as we work our way through it, um, we'll answer these four questions. So first of all, I want us to begin with what the scriptures have to say about the existence of angels. The existence of angels. Next, we will take a look at the activities of angels. That is, what do they do? And then finally, we will answer the fourth question, or uh, uh, the third question, excuse me, why should I care about what angels do with the importance 
of angels. Why should we even be talking about angels this morning? So, let's begin with the existence of angels. And I want to sort of talk about their existence by exploring, oh, about five fundamental questions about the existence of angels. So, question number one, uh, let's start at the beginning with definitions. What are angels? What are we talking about here? Well, Dr. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, I think, offers a simple and helpful and accurate uh, uh, definition. He says, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. And we'll sort of flesh out this definition as we work our way through. He says, angels are created. Um, He says that they are spiritual beings. He says that they have a moral judgment about them, right? They're moral beings. He says they have high intelligence, but but without physical bodies. So that's a good definition. We're going to kind of work off of that as we work through our sermon. Now, when we look at these creatures in the Bible, they are most often called, well, you've guessed it, angels, right? So angelos uh, in the Greek, uh, melech, if I'm not mistaken, in the Hebrew. Uh, This is the title, the name that is most often used to refer to angels, right? Angels. And the word itself, both in Hebrew and in Greek, simply means messenger. So when you think about angels, in the most fundamental sense, they are messengers. They take a message, they, they do a job of somebody sort of over them, right? They, they do the will, the purpose of the one served. And of course, in this case, the one served is whom? Well, God, right? So they are, in a, in a sense, in numerous ways, which we'll see in just a moment, they are God's messengers. However, they uh, are called other things in, in the Bible. They're not simply always called angels. In fact, in Job chapter 1, they are called the sons of God. In Psalm 89, they are called the holy ones. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, which we'll focus on in a moment, they're called spirits, emphasizing the fact that they are non-material. This is my favorite, perhaps, In Daniel chapter 4, angels are called the watchers. Just think about that for a moment. They're called the watchers because that's part of what they do. They watch us. Uh, Also, there's like um, imagery of of an army. They're called the heavenly hosts. And and this is is an idea that angels are are like um, God's army, if you will, uh, hosts. So what are angels? They're created. They're spiritual. uh, They have moral judgments, high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So where do they come from, right? Uh, What's their origins, if you will? Well, uh, like all things, uh, God created them. Just like he created everything else we know. We know from the Bible that they were created uh, before the creation of the world. In fact, Job chapter 38 verse uh, 7, God is talking to Job. And he he tells Job that the angels shouted for joy when he created the world. So we know that they are older, if you will, than mankind. They were created first. Psalm 148 verse 5 affirms that God actually created them, right? They are not higher than God. They are creatures, The psalmist says in verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created. So they are created beings. They were created before us. Uh, And and just sort of as an aside here, this, this sort of puts the kibosh on the popular notion that angels are the souls or the spirits 
spirits of people who die. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe you've sort of been to a, a funeral and they say, well, Uncle Bob is now sprouting his wings and playing his harp and sitting on the cloud or whatever, right? Friends, this is simply not true, right? Angels are not people um, who are dead, right? They're angels, right? They're not human beings. Aunt Sally doesn't become an angel when she dies, and neither will I, and neither will you. They are a separate entity of creation. Well, where do they come from? Well, God, God made them. Question number three, what are angels like? What are angels like? We could really talk quite a bit about the nature of angels, but sufficeth to say that not only are they created, but they are spiritual beings. They are spiritual beings. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, uh, affirms this. They are spirit beings. That is, they are immaterial. They are invisible at times, unless they reveal themselves to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Friends, this talks about a part of what angels do. And we'll get there in a moment. But but Christian, aren't you glad that angels are ministering spirits? And part of what they do is they serve me and you. Who is it that inherits salvation? It's the Christian who inherits salvation. And so if you are born again, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then rejoice that you have ministering spirits that God created in part to serve you. As spirits, they possess no physical or material bodies in and of themselves. But as you well know, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, that they appear in a whole host of forms, right? Sometimes they look like human beings. If you were to read the description of the angels in Ezekiel chapter 1... They don't look like human beings at all. They've got wings and, and heads and just, they look weird, right? Like a sci-fi show. So their appearance can look a whole host of, of things, right? They, they can take different forms, if you will. Um, in addition to what they look like, as we consider the nature of angels, we learn that they are persons, if you will. They're not powers or forces or figments of our imagination. The scriptures uh, say that they have intellect, that they have emotions, that they have a will, that they make choices, if you will. First Peter 1.12 says that they long to look into the salvation that's now been revealed in the gospel. So, so they're, they're, they're people, if you will, different creatures, but, but they have personhood. So, what are angels? Where do they come from? What are, what are they like? Question number four. Now we get to your question. Whoever it is that posed it. Are there different types of angels? And do they have different jobs? Um, the answer to both is... Are you ready? Yes. Yes. The answer to both is yes. Uh, they do have different jobs. And they are there are different types of angels. And what we see in the scriptures is that those two things are often related. In other words, different types of angels often have different types of of jobs. So let's just kind of work our way through answering this question. First of all, um, do you know how many angels in the Bible actually are, are given a, a proper name? Just, just ponder that for a moment. Let's think about it. Okay, right. Think about the ones you know. There's what? What? <laughs> Gabriel. Okay, very good. I heard right. And then there's one more. Michael. Very good. Right. So we only actually get formal names for two of the angels, Gabriel and Michael. But I, I think that sort of gives us good evidence to think that it's possible that each angel maybe has their own name. We don't know that, but we know two of them definitely have names. So what do we know about these two angels? Well, well, let's begin with uh, Michael. 
Michael in Jude 9 is called the arch angel, kind of the chief angel. In fact, in Daniel chapter 10, he's described as one of the chief princes. And so, so Michael, most scholars believe that he is sort of the top dog, right? He, if, there are, uh, if there is a hierarchy of angels, which I think there is, it's possible that Michael is uh, the highest on the totem pole, if you will. Um, we also see uh, about Michael is that he is a warrior, that's what he does. He is a fighting angel because almost every time we see him, guess what he's doing? He's going to battle, right? He's fighting Satan. He's fighting demons. In fact, in Jude chapter 9, we're told this interesting little tidbit about the body of Moses. We are told in Jude chapter 9 that apparently Satan wanted the body of Moses after he passed away. And we're told that Michael fights with Satan. It's fascinating. We see in Revelation chapter 12, guess what Michael is doing? He's going to war. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, we're told of a day, I think yet future, when a war breaks out in heaven between the heavenly hosts and between Satan and his fallen angels, the demons. And there in Revelation 12, um, we see that Michael goes to battle. He, he's, he's a warrior angel. But we do get one interesting tidbit also there in Revelation chapter 12. There, Michael is called your prince, your prince uh, referring to the Jewish people, referring to the Jewish people. So, so seemingly, Michael is not only a warrior, but he apparently has been assigned to the Jewish people. It's, it's fascinating. He's the top dog. He's a warrior. What about Gabriel? What do we know about Gabriel? So think about it. Where do you see Gabriel show up in the Bible? Yeah, at Christmas time, right? At the birth of Christ. Because what Gabriel is, is he's sort of, he, he's the top mailman seems like. He, he is the uh, chief deliverer of God's messages. In fact, he comes to key people at key, uh, in key places and at key times throughout God's salvation hi- history. He shows up to Daniel in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. He, he shows up, of course, to Zechariah and, of course, to, to Mary, which is probably what we're most familiar with in Luke chapter 1. So, two angels that we know of are, are named, and to answer your question, yes, they're different, and, and they do different things. But not only that, we see uh, uh, sort of quasi-named angels. Uh, so, in particular, in the book of Revelation, we see that there are specific angels that seemingly exist to do one thing. Like, they have one job. They have one task. So, let me just list these for you. In chapter 9, verse 11 of the book of Revelation, we are told of the angel of the abyss. Apparently, he is in charge of the abyss. The, the angel, uh, in chapter 14, uh, we're told, who had charge of the fire. And then in chapter 16, there is an angel of the waters. Apparently, these angels uh, have a specific God-given task or role to play. Not only do we know that there are two angels that are named, but there are two class, not only classes, groups, if you will, two different groups of angels uh, that are described for us. Um, and if you know the old hymn, Holy, 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 then you know the two classes of angels. Uh, one of the things that I uh, often do with my daughters uh, as a part of the bedtime routine is we, we sing what they call a church song. So I'll say, do you want to sing a church song? And they'll say, yes, let's sing a church song, which runs the gamut. It's songs that we sing in church, and so they'll pick. Um, one of the songs that I like to sing to them is the great old hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And in that song, um, it, there, there's a line that goes something like this. Um, 
Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. I'll stop singing. Um, Cherubim, seraphim, two different groups or classes of angels. I remember when I first started to sing that song to Sawyer, she would ask me, what, what's a seraph? Right? What, what, what's a cherubim? And so I had this discussion with her one night, and then the next night she would ask me again, what, what are those? And so I had to explain to her what I'm about to explain to you, what seraphim and cherubim are. And, and so now occasionally when, when, I, uh, when she requests that song, she'll say, sing the angel song, right? Sing the angel song. So, so what about cherubim? Let's begin with them. Cherubim seem to be a, 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 a special type of protective angel, if you will. They, they defend, they protect. Uh, um, you'll recall that we learned first about them in Genesis chapter 3. So you remember the story. Adam and Eve, they took a bite, right? And, and they fell into a sinful state. And God says, what? Can they stay in the Garden of Eden? No, they cannot. And so they out they must go. And God places an angel where? Remember? At the, at the door, at the, at the gate, if you will, of the Garden of Eden. And he places a cherubim. It's a cherubim that he places there. We see the cherubim, cherubim described for us in more detail in Ezekiel chapter 10. I'll leave that for you to read. But they, are, uh, they have four faces and they have four wings and they have a partial appearance of the human. You can see them described there for us. They seem to be protective, defending type angels and then there are the, the seraphim, or the seraphs, uh, if you're talking about a single one. And we only see them once. Anybody know where? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, there we have the call of Isaiah. And he is taken into the throne room of God, and he sees the seraphim. And the seraphim cry out to God, remember? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty and the whole earth is filled with his what? Remember? Glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Apparently these burning angels, the word seraph means to burn. And so apparently these are angels whose only task is to worship God. That's what they do. That's what they've done since their creation. That's what they'll do into all eternity. Burning desire to worship God. Finally, and I find this quite fascinating. We get, I'll call them hints, hints, if you will, in Scripture, that there may be angels that are assigned either to specific um, nations or specific leaders of nations or specific geographical locations or um, specific People groups, if you will. So we, we've seen that before already, right? Michael seems to be assigned to the Jewish people. Um, Paul, interestingly enough, in oh, about seven different places in the New Testament, when he describes angels, he describes them in these words. He calls them rulers, and he calls them authorities, and he calls them principalities. This is government language that he uses to describe the angels. And I think it gives credence to the idea that there may be angels assigned to nations, to, to key world leaders. Um, we, we don't know. But, but what we do know is this. In, in Daniel chapter 10, there's a fascinating story, and I'll summarize it briefly. 
an angel is coming to Daniel. And he tells Daniel, hey, I would have been here sooner, but I, I got into a fight with some demons, essentially. And he names those demons, and one of them he calls the king of Persia. In other words, apparently there is a demon who is assigned to the ruler or the nation or the kingdom of Persia. It's fascinating. I think it's reasonable to suggest that if bad angels are assigned nations or key leaders, that that maybe God assigns good angels to nations or leaders. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I think it's, it's a strong possibility. So, that's what angels are. Let's think a moment about what angels do, the activities of angels. Dr. Tony Evans helpfully points out five sort of overarching activities of, of, of angels. Number one, they're messengers of God's propositions. God's propositions. That is, they are agents of God's word. We see um, that uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, tells us that when God gave Moses the law on Mount what? Remember? Mount Sinai, right? He's up there on Mount Sinai and God gives him the law to give to his people that he did it through the agency of, of angels. 2.2 says the, he, he calls the law the message spoken through the angels. Acts chapter 7. Remember that guy who was martyred, right? When Stephen is giving his speech, if you will, he's speaking to the Jewish people and he says, you have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. So apparently, the law, the Old Testament, what we have, was given through the mediation of angels. And of course, angels give uh, messages of God to people all throughout scriptures. They They are messengers of his word, messengers of his propositions. But not only that, they are messengers of God's protection. You can probably think through numerous times in the Bible. It's The scripture is, is quite literally uh, littered with examples of angels being agents of God's providential, not promised, providential, but not promised protection of his people. So you think Daniel in the lion's den, right? There was an angel. You think of Elisha and the Syrian army. You think of the, the angelic army there. We think of the apostles in jail and the angels setting them free. And we could go on and on and on. On this subject matter, now let's answer another one of today's questions. I think you've all been waiting for it. Are guardian angels real? I know it's burning on your mind. So here we go. Let me give you uh, the best answer according to the scripture that I can. Are guardian angels real? So uh, here's my answer. <clears throat> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, it depends on what you mean to some degree. So clearly we see that uh, a part of what angels do is, is to guard or to protect. That's, that's sort of what they do. So, so in that sense, are there guardian angels? Well, yeah, there are angels who guard. But I think likely what this person means when they ask about guardian angels uh, is this. Um, is there a specific angel assigned, say, to a specific child or a specific person or a specific Christian. That's probably what we think of, right? When we think of the idea of of a guardian uh, angel. So the strongest support for this notion comes uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. So Jesus um, is speaking of children in that particular verse. And he says this in verse 10. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. And here's the reason why. For I tell you that their angels in heaven... Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Uh, that's 
the strongest support for this notion of a specific individual angel for a, a child or maybe a, a, a person or a Christian, there are really two ways that you could interpret what Jesus says here. Uh, this could mean that, well, just that. Each child has an angel assigned to him. That very well could be. It could be. It's very legitimate. Commentators take it this way, so it's possible. Personally, I think it more likely means that uh, that the, the group of angels that are assigned the task of protecting children as a whole, Jesus says, they always have access to God's face. In other words, if you take that interpretation, the angels, uh, to use a sports illustration, they play zone defense rather than man-to-man. You with me? They play zone, right? It's not one-to-one. Uh, they don't play man. They play zone. Um, I think the question is inconclusive. I think you could go either way and have good biblical support. However, I will absolutely not be dogmatic on it. John Calvin, it's always good to stand with John Calvin says this. Whether or not each believer has a single angel assigned to him for his defense, I dare not positively affirm. I don't know. That's my answer. I don't know. It's very possible. It's possible that it's not. But here's, the, here's something that is the point. Do you feel any better if you have an angel assigned to you? or not, or to your children or not. To me, I'm going to trust that God, God is capable of protecting me and my children or, or the Christians if he so chooses, whether it's through a personal angel or a group of angels or no angel at all. You think God needs the help of angels? Of course not. So ultimately, it's a great question, but I think it's a moot point, right? Angels are also messengers of God's provision, Rather quickly, we see that God uses angels to meet the needs of his people. Um, he did this when Elijah was running from Jezebel. Remember that? He's, he's running and he's running and he's running and God sends angels to meet his needs. Um, remember Jesus. He's tempted for how long in the, in, in the desert wilderness? How many days? Forty. Thank you. Forty days, right? And then the scripture says, and he gets hungry. <laughs> right. Then he's hungry. Um, we're told that angels minister to Jesus' needs. Angels are also messengers of God's praise. We've seen this before. The seraph, holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. Angels, fifthly, are messengers of God's penalty. Now, we don't think of this very often. Think about, in your mind, some art, right? Pick your art um, and how angels are portrayed. How are they most often portrayed, um, especially like kind of medieval art, um, they are often portrayed as fat kids, right? Chubby, cheeked kids with wings and halos, right? That, that kind of a sweet being, this little bundle of sweetness and light, right? Just kind of you know, makes you feel warm inside, right? Um, the Bible actually portrays angels quite differently, okay? Um, C.S. Lewis rightfully says this. He says, in scriptures, the visitation of an angel is always alarming, It has to begin by saying, fear not. The Victorian angels look as if uh, it were going to say, they're there. (laughs) Right? Um, Angels are messengers in part of God's judgment. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us that angels will be involved in gathering up the unbelievers at the end of the age and casting them into hell. That's what angels do, in part. Right? If you read the book of Revelation, you can't miss the fact that there are angels everywhere. And what are they doing? They're pouring out the holy wrath of God upon a, a rebellious world, 
right? So angels aren't, I mean, like, they're to be feared, okay? Uh, in the sense that um, they are not just cute, fat kids with halos on their heads. So, let's get to this last point. The importance of angels. One of you asked me this question, why should I care what angels do? That's a great question, a wonderful question. Um, in his systematic theology, Grudem gives us about five applications, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use his because it's really good. Angels, number one. Angels remind us of the reality of the invisible world. Angels remind us that there is more going on than what we can see, Right? Maybe you've seen the children's movie, The Polar Express. Are you familiar with the movie? It's a cartoon, right? It's about Christmas time. Uh, this little boy who doubts Santa Claus gets on board this magical train on Christmas Eve, and it's headed to the North Pole. And, of course, there is the conductor, right, who is Tom Hanks. Um, and then he has a friend who's a little girl. And there's a scene when the, the train begins to ascend a particularly steep hill, and they're climbing on top of the engine, and the conductor says, watch out for ice. And then, of course, what happens? Well, the boy slips, and the conductor grabs him just in time before he plummets to his death. I don't know if he's going to die, but he, he grabs him in time, right? And they make their way up into the train, and the conductor begins to talk about when the same thing happened to him. And so in the movie, the conductor says, Years ago, on my first Christmas Eve run, I was up on the roof making my rounds when I slipped on the ice myself. He said, I reached out for an iron hand, but it broke off. I slid and fell, and yet I did not fall from this train. And the little girl says, Somebody saved you? And the conductor said, Or something. And the little girl says, an angel. And the conductor says, maybe, but it looks like he's saying yes in the movie. And the boy says, wait, 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 what did he look like? Did you see him? And the conductor says, no, sir. Sometimes seeing is believing. And sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. I think that's what angels are meant to remind us of. He's right. Sometimes the most real things in the world are are, are things like angels, Things that we cannot see. Friends, many in our day deny the reality of anything uh, supernatural, right? It can't be demonstrated through the scientific method, then it simply does not exist. But the Bible teaches us quite otherwise, right? There is an unseen world that is very real, and it includes God, and heaven, and hell, and demons, and angels, and so much more. And so when we ponder angels, we are reminded that there is so much out there going on that we simply cannot perceive. Number two, angels show us, they remind us of the greatness of God's love for us, for, for us, for human beings. So just think about this for a moment. Um, angels and humans have quite a bit alike, if you think about it. We are created, they are created. We are moral beings. They are moral beings. We rebelled against our Creator. Some of them rebelled against their Creator. But here is where the differences um, stop. Did God send His very Son into human likeness to save the angels? No, He did not. No, He did not. In fact, 2 Peter 2.4 tells us that uh, of the rebel angels, quote, God did not spare In other words, fallen angels have no chance uh, to repent. They are fallen. Their eternity is secure. We, however, 
are made alone, uniquely, in, in God's image. And He demonstrated His great love for us by sending His own Son, not in the likeness of an angel, but in the likeness of a human being. So Christian, when you sing the great hymn, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Do you realize that an angel can never say those words? A fallen angel will never say those words. And a a, a good angel will never say those words. They don't know what it's like to be redeemed. But Christian... Do you know what it's like to be redeemed? You do. And I do too. And so when we ponder angels, we are reminded of God's infinite love for us. Number three, angels are also examples to us. They are examples to us. Um, Remember when Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, right, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in what? In heaven Do you ever ponder what he meant by that? Who does the will of God in heaven? Who? Angels do. Angels do the will of God in heaven. And how do they do it? Immediately. Joyfully. Without question. See, their obedience is a great example for us. There are also examples in their worship because there are angels, I believe, that will spend all eternity singing the praise of God. And guess what? They don't wake up in the morning as if angels did that. They don't wake up in the morning and say, man, another day that I've got to sing to God. Don't do that. They are our examples. Angels should motivate us. This is when it gets uh, interesting. Number four, number five. In at least three places, the Bible tells us that angels observe me and you. Just ponder that for a moment as you're driving home from church. As you're going to work tomorrow, uh, they watch us. They are watchers. And in three places, the Bible says, because the angels are watching you, Christian, uh, you should obey God. I'll just share one of them. First uh, Timothy 5.21, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus, as if that were not enough, that what we do is in the sight of God. And what we do is in the sight of Jesus, he adds, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing without favoritism. He says, Timothy, just remember you're being watched by God, by Jesus, and by the elect angels. Of course, our primary aim is to please God. That's our primary motivation. But, you know, sometimes we act differently when other people are around, don't we? Well, we can remember that sometimes, maybe all the time, Um, Angels are around. Number five, angels can be entertained. This is fascinating. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, and we'll end with this. He begins in verse 1 with a command. Let love of the brethren continue. In other words, keep loving other Christians. Keep it up. Um, How? What does that look like? He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's what love of the brethren looks like. Why? For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. See, the first, first century Christians, um, when they would travel from city to city, the um, hotels were, let's just say they were immoral. And they were not only immoral, but they were not safe. 
Um, there, were, there, there were no um, myriads or uh, four seasons that were safe for Christians to stay. And so when you wanted to travel, you would find a town and you'd be like, who are the Christians here? And you knock on their door. Hi, my name is Trey Sheffer and I, I live in Cisna Park and I'm going to Chicago. Can I stay with you? And they don't know me. But I, I share with them what church I'm from and that I'm a Christian. And here Paul says, show hospitality to them. Why? Because that person knocking on your door might actually be what? Might actually be an angel. Um, we'll, we'll end with a story. Chuck Swindoll shared a, a great testimony he heard from one of his mentors. I'm guessing it was Dr. Campbell there at the Dallas Seminary, though I don't know that. Uh, it was about a missionary uh, home on furlough, and this mentor shares the story. He was traveling by car from church to church. On one rainy evening, he faced a long, lonely, all-night journey. So he asked the Lord to help him stay awake to make it safely to the next destination. Just a few minutes later, he says he came upon a man on the side of the road looking for a ride. Though he rarely did this, he felt sorry for the man in the rain, and he gave him a lift. The story goes on. As the two men began to visit, the missionary was thrilled to discover that the, the, the stranger was, was a Christian. And they had many, even mutual friends. They, they knew uh, people, uh, missionaries and mission agencies. Time quickly passed, and the, the night went on until the morning came. And uh, Well, it's time to say goodbye. The missionary said, well, let's wait. Let's have a cup of coffee together. And so they did that. And after the cup of coffee, they parted. They promised to pray for one another. A few minutes later, he, the missionary, missionary was down the road, and he's like, I, I didn't get this guy's name. I didn't get his address, right? His phone number. And so he went back to the cafe, but of course, there was no sign of the man. And when he asked the cook if he had seen where the other fella had gone, uh, he got this shocking response. What other fella? You came in here alone. In fact, I wondered why you ordered two cups of coffee. Then he remembered that the hitchhiker had been standing in the pouring rain, but when he got in the car... There was no water in the car. This missionary could have entertained an angel. And friends, by our love and our acts of kindness, you never know. You never know who you're interacting with. So friends, let me close with the words of dearly beloved and departed Billy Graham. He says, believers, look up, take courage. The angels are nearer than you think. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time and for what we have understood about your angelic messengers. Father, help us to do what your word says, to let the love of the brethren continue, because by doing so, we might even entertain angels, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. See you next week. Another good question.